keys to the kingdom, bringing heaven to earth. And what we're doing is we're, we're spending a little time talking about the kingdom of God and, and how important that message is. Now, we said last week, that, that, and I reminded you, we spent a long time talking about relationship and religion, right? And how important relationship is. Here's the kicker, okay? If you don't have a relationship this morning, what I'm going to share with you won't do you much good, okay? You can have the keys, but without the relationship, the keys don't really work, all right? They're just, you know, they make noise in your pocket, basically. And so I would encourage you uh, to to check up on your relationship. Relationships take work. Okay, and so uh, the, it's just as it is in a, a marriage or a friendship, so it is with Jesus Christ. Salvation is a free gift. Okay, God gives us salvation, but relationship is is hard work. It, it means we pursue God even as He pursues us. Are y'all with me? This, this is nothing new. Okay, I've, I've been teaching this for almost four years. Uh, almost every Sunday. It's the only message I've got, okay? I'm just telling you, if, if you get that message, you, you've got the Christian life, all right? I mean, that's just the way it is. It's not about religious stuff you do. It's about a relationship that you have. And so the reason we're looking at the kingdom is because that's the message, that's the gospel that Jesus preached. Everywhere he went, he preached The gospel of the kingdom. Salvation, the gospel of salvation, which is what most of us have grown up on and we've heard preached, is a part of that gospel. But it's only a part. Okay? It gets us through the front door into God's house. The sad thing about it is, is that most people, when they get in the front door, they don't know what to do because they've not heard anything else, any other instructions. And so when Jesus came, he spent three and a half years preparing his people, the Jews, God's people, preparing them to live in the kingdom of God so they would know how to act and know how to behave and know what to do. I mean, we're not going to spend eternity on some little fluffy cloud with a, with a harp plucking it away, okay? That's, that's just, that's not biblical. We're going to rule in the kingdom. But if you don't know how to rule, you're going to have to go to remedial class the first 10,000 years, okay? You're going to have to do, I mean, it's, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, English, I don't know what it's called, but it's not 101. It's got something else, or math. You know what I'm talking about. The remedial class, because we didn't pay attention. And so I I don't want you to have to go to remedial class. I don't want to go to remedial class. I want us to understand that the kingdom of God was the message of Jesus. Jesus was the king. And when he came, he came to share the message of of heaven. He came to bring heaven to earth, and that's what the kingdom does. It brings heaven. The attitudes, the actions, what's going on to heaven, it brings it to earth. When God created Adam, he didn't intend for things to be any different than where he was, where Adam was. Adam was his steward, his regent, his who ruled in his place, who took care, the caretaker of this planet. And you know the story, he messed it up. And I'm not preaching on that today, but I'm just kind of laying the groundwork. But Jesus contrasted, he once contrasted the quality of life that he makes available to every person. And that quality is based on our choice. Jesus gives it. Now whether or not we accept it, we take it, we receive it, whatever word you're comfortable with there, It's based on whether or not we want it or not. Jesus put it this way. He said the thief in John chapter 10.10 comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But listen to what Jesus said. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. See, there's a a qualitative difference in the kind of life that's available to us. There's the kill, steal, and destroy life. And then there's the abundant life. But Jesus 
also, he, he added, there's more to that abundant life. When Jesus talked with Nicodemus, most of you remember Nicodemus was the, he was the, the scholar, the teacher of Israel. And he came to Jesus at night. He came to find out. He had heard the things that Jesus was telling. His, 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 his mind was pricked. His heart was pricked. And so he came to Jesus to ask questions. And, and this verse, I, almost every Christian in the world can quote this verse. But Jesus said in John 3.16, he told Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came to give us eternal, abundant life. Or he came to give us abundant, eternal life. Whichever you're most comfortable with. It's the same thing. Jesus came to offer us a life. His life. His life is abundant. His life is eternal. The same quality of life that the king himself lives. Now, the other choice that we have is a life that's full of stolen dreams. It's full of dying opportunities. And it results in utter destruction. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? I went, I, I was, when I went to college, my desire was to be a coach originally. You only had to take one course in math, and you only had to take one science course, and it didn't have to have a lab, all right? I didn't care for science, and I didn't do very well in math. About a year of that, I got tired. But when I went back to school, when I finally answered God's call to go into ministry, I found something wonderful. When you go to seminary, and when, you, and when I, I got a degree, undergraduate degree in, in pastoral theology, I didn't have to have but one math, and I only had to have one science. You see how God works? He doesn't waste. See, He doesn't waste. He doesn't waste stuff. And so I'm not a rocket scientist, okay? I'm, I'm simple. I think pretty much black and white. There's not a lot of gray areas for me in life. That's just the way I think. But here's the deal. Jesus offers us abundant eternal life. The enemy offers us a life full of death, full of stolen things and utter destructions. Now, I don't see a choice there. It's, it's very simple to me. Jesus offers far more than I get here. But the sad thing is, most people choose this. Most people live here. In fact, most Christians who have chosen this live out their life choosing this. Okay? Although this is, belongs to them. I've got to say this quickly, and I can't say it two times because I'll, I'll probably mess it up. But they choose this rather than... They don't choose this even though this is the, belongs to them. They choose this. They live this out. It seems to me like those two choices are polar opposites. They're diametrically opposed. They're worlds apart. In fact, why would anyone choose anything other than the life that Jesus offers us? Now, eternal life and abundant life are the divine quality of the king's life. He is giving us his life. Therefore, it has two elements. It's eternal. Now, all of us, uh, we, we pretty much understand eternal. The Jews believed that it was the life of the age to come. It was the life that would be lived in the kingdom of God. It was the life of the age to come. It's, it's no different in the church. We believe it's the life that we'll live in heaven. We just, we just call it two different things. But it's the life of the age to come which is gained by faith. Cannot be destroyed and is a present possession of everyone who believes. Folks, when you came to Christ, you were given eternal life. It's not something you will gain later. It's something you begin to live from that moment on. Scripture says that, that the old things pass away. Behold, all things are new. Eternal life begins the moment we come to Christ. Scripture paints a, a very clear picture. Before we come to know Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But when we come to know Christ, we gain eternal life. Now, it's also abundant, 
which means it's a, it's a life that has more than is really necessary. Here, here's a word I've, I've found it, I rarely hear used, but superfluous. Okay, I may not even said that right because I've never heard it used very much. I've read it a lot, but it means to have a surplus, an overflow. Picture a a bucket, a five-gallon bucket right here, and I've got another bucket of water, and I start pouring, and pretty soon that that bucket that's on the floor just begins to run over. And, it just, and I just keep pouring. That's what abundant life is like. It's just more and more and more. God says when, when He gives the, 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 the Ten Commandments, he, he talks about how He'll visit the sins of the fathers, uh, on the, uh, the sins of iniquity He'll visit on the fathers to the third and fourth generation. We, we all know that, but we miss this. But He says this, But I will lavish my love on those who love and obey me for a thousand generations. I will overflow their buckets, is what that word lavish means. I will pour and pour and pour. And so Jesus gives us that quality of of eternal life, but he also gives us that that quality of abundant life. And, And listen to me. Just like eternal life began the moment you came to Christ, abundant life begins at the same moment. Now most of us are not we're not real comfortable with abundant life. We're, a com- we're comfortable with eternal life because it's something that we can think about that's by and by in the sky. Okay? But Jesus created us. He saved us. He died to give us abundance even right now. Now, that's not health and wealth, okay? It's just we became the kings. And the king took responsibility for our needs, for, our, for our, uh, the things that, that we have to have. He took responsibility for that. And, and he doesn't just give you enough. He always gives you more than enough. That's, that's the king. And so, folks, this is not something that, that starts once we die. It begins the moment that we're born again. It's the moment that we truly begin to believe in Christ that eternal abundant life begins. Now, like I said, most of us, we don't really have an issue with the eternal life part, but we struggle with the promise of abundance. Because the present quality of most of our lives is not abundant. Or we don't think it's abundant. We don't see it as abundant. Folks, we are heirs of God. That's what Scripture teaches. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus gave His church the keys to the kingdom. Okay, that's, that's what He told Peter and the disciples there on, on the mount as, as He was talking to them. Uh, and, he, and Who do people say that I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, well, you know what? On that testimony, on those words, I'm going to build my kingdom. And he he told Peter and those apostles, he said, I'm going to give you the keys, not the key, but the keys to the kingdom. Their job was to pass those keys to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, until guess what? We are the ones who are supposed to have the keys, and we are to pass them to the next generation. Folks, eternal life An abundant life are the same thing. They're not two different qualities. They are the same exact thing. You can't have abundance without being the eternal aspect of it. And you can't have eternal life without the abundant aspect of it. They flow out of each other. You can't have one without the other. But you may not be experiencing that abundance this morning because maybe you're using the wrong key to open the right door. You ever stood at the back door of your house in the dark and tried to put keys in? When I got here this morning, I I didn't realize I had keys that looks just like the, the deal that goes in the air conditioner. I put it in, nothing happened. I started to panic. What's wrong with this thing? Then I realized, okay, that key is not in the normal place where the other key is. I was using the wrong key in the right place, and it wouldn't open. And that's what happens when we try to use the wrong key, when we, when we don't use the keys that work. Folks, you can try the wrong key in the right lock 
all day long for years upon end and it will not open the door. Okay? Well, I know it will. Well, it won't. Just trust me. I hadn't tried it for years, but I've tried it several times in several situations and it it doesn't work. Therefore, it's important for us to learn the principles of the kingdom, to learn what the keys go to, to learn what Jesus gave his apostles, the, the gospel of the kingdom. It's important that we learn the principles of those things so that we can open the kingdom of God, so that we can open up what God's already given us. I mentioned a while ago, the gospel of the kingdom gets us through the front door. It gets us into God's house. But that's just the front door. Okay? Nobody comes to your house to see your front door. Okay? They want to see what's in the house, what's in the rooms. My granddaughter came to visit yesterday. She's going everywhere. She's looking. She's checking things out to see if, if things are where she remembered them to be. She go, I mean, even though she, she doesn't want to play with this, she's going to fiddle with it. She goes to every room just to make sure things are like they're supposed to do. There's a glut of people in the front door of God's house and nobody's moving out. Nobody's discovering anything. Mostly because we've only used one key. Okay, And so for the next few weeks, I don't know how long this is going to last. I, I wish I could do, but I can't. I'm, God, we're still in flux here. God keeps showing me keys, and, and I keep asking him, what do those open? And, and he keep, he begin, he's showing me. But, but here's the thing. If we don't learn the principles, if we don't understand the keys, the abundance that God has for us can't be accessed. Okay? You can say, oh, well, I love Jesus. I love him too. But you know what? There are principles and there are keys that open doors and nothing else opens those doors. Okay? So we have to learn those principles. And I, I believe that's what, what Jesus was teaching the people in the first century. And, and that's what's in the scriptures. It's not, it wasn't a mystery. It was taught and it was written down. And it's been passed to us. And so we, we, get, to the, we get to the New Testament and, and Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. And he talks a lot about the gospel of the kingdom. And, and we've made it something that will happen in the future. All of this will take place in the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And part of that is true, Okay. But part of it is not true. If we don't learn to live, if we don't learn a kingdom lifestyle now, we're not going to have know how to live in the kingdom, and we're going to all have to go remedial school, okay? That's just the bottom line. Jesus didn't intend for us to, 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 to live this way by and by. He intended us for us to live this way every day. I've mentioned this last week, but the kingdom of God is here. So if it's here, then I should, I'm living in the kingdom. And I should learn to live according to the, to, the, to the laws of the kingdom. Because if I obey the laws, things open up. If I obey the principles, doors open up. And so what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is, is we're just going to learn some of those principles. And this morning, I, I, I've called this genuine repentance, the key to a kingdom life. Jesus or not Jesus, but John bursts on the scene. And he bursts on the scene preaching a very simple message. We find that message in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He comes into Judea, and he's preaching one message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And folks, people began to turn out from everywhere. John wasn't doing miracles. John was preaching repentance. And as people repented, then he would baptize them as a, as a, a, physical, uh, a, a physical illustration of, of, of what had taken place in their heart. And so John comes, and, and we talked about this last week. John came as the herald. He came as the forerunner, the one who went before the king. If you remember last week, the king, when he was visiting his kingdom, when he was visiting the realm, he would send out forerunners. He would send out messengers. And they would prepare 
the, the, the way of the king. If, if there were potholes in the road, they filled the potholes up. If there were hills in the way, they lowered the hills. They leveled the road so that the king could come in. But they took the message that the king would bring and they proclaimed it. They declared it. And so Jesus, as John comes, as Jesus comes, John goes before him. He's preaching a message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, guess what happens? When Jesus comes, guess what message he was preaching? Not a new one. Not a different one. He was preaching word for word the exact thing. Now, this one won't be up on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, From this time, Jesus began to preach. And he began to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same message that John preached. One message... One focused message, one filled with what I believe is the first key we have to pick up and we have to learn to use. Jesus and John came to a group of people. They preached to a group of people who were highly refined. These these weren't uh, savages, okay? These were very educated and very uh, 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 socially oriented. They were highly refined and they were beyond religiously structured. Okay, They had a, a, a religious system in place that was very highly structured. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the law of God. They had the sacrificial system which uh, provided access to God and also provided forgiveness for their sins. They had the temple. They had the altar. They had the holy of holies. They lived in the promised land. They were God's people. Folks, this wasn't a group of, of pagan savages. These were the people who worshipped one God in the midst of a, of, a, of a world that worshipped thousands of gods. They worshipped one God. By all accounts, by, based on history and what we know, they had this religious thing down. Okay? They had it down. The only problem is they had very little relationship with God. It had started out as a relationship... Abraham walked with God. Moses walked with God. But from generation to generation, what got passed down was religion rather than relationship. And so it became highly structured. It became a do this, don't do that. And they'd gotten so far off track and so far away from God that their worship had become basically a litany of do's and don'ts. Okay? Now let's be real honest. That's what happens in most churches today. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do's and don'ts will not help you know who Jesus is. Okay? It won't make you any closer to Jesus. If you don't have a relationship, the do's and the don'ts are useless. If you have a relationship, out of that relationship, you will do these things. And you won't do these things. That's, that's just the way it's supposed to work. But the, the Jewish people and, and most Christians have gotten so far off track. And they've gotten so far away from God that their worship was just a bunch of do's and don'ts. They've, they've found, found value and acceptance in what they could do for God. Instead of what God had done for them. There's a big difference. Okay? There's a big difference. They had lost their way. And when I picture this in my mind, I think about the high grass out in right and left field. They, they, they'd gotten lost in the, in the high grass. They'd found a form of godliness, but their religious spirit denied the power of God. And, and you know, it just sounds like the, the church of today, the church of the 21st century. There's lots of personalities. There were lots of personalities in Jesus' day. There was lots of pomp and circumstance. There was lots in Jesus' day. There was tons of programs that you could get involved in and you could excel at. Just read some of the passages where Paul talks about who he, he was before he met Jesus. I was, a, uh, uh, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, Benjamin had the first king. 
That's what he's saying. I was a, a Jew of Jews. I was a Pharisee. On and on and on. All the, all the programs. But the reality was there was very little power in their worship. And there was very little power in their religion. Somewhere along the way, they'd taken a wrong turn. And they'd lost their way. Now, enter the king. The king has come to visit his realm. He's come to visit his people. And what the king does, he brings the good news of the kingdom. They had misplaced it. They had lost it. They weren't living according to the gospel of the kingdom. They were living according to the news of religion. Okay? The bad news of religion. They weren't living according to the gospel of the kingdom. And listen to what Jesus says. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John and the king, King Jesus, were offering the very same key. That would bring God's people back to fellowship with him. That would open the door for them to experience a genuine relationship through their worship. That would restore the abundant quality of life that, that they had inherited, but now completely evaded them. Listen, Jesus didn't come to give them something new. We need to understand that. Jesus didn't come to give them something new. He came to point them back to the exact spot where they had left what God had given them. Where they had lost what God had, had poured out upon them. Now, this sermon that Jesus preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's composed of a condition and a promise. And very often, that's what happens in Scripture. There's a promise, but there's a condition. If my people who are called by my name will, da 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 then I will hear their prayers. I will heal their sin, and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. If you will confess your sins, God is faithful and just. The condition is if I'll do this. The promise is this. The promise is there. It's just, will I do what I'm supposed to do? And so Jesus comes, and he's preaching the message of the gospel of the kingdom, and the first key that he gives them is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Very simple, to the point. There's not an endless laundry list of do's and don'ts. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine this. But what if a, your pastor got up on a Sunday morning and he said one sentence and he sat down? I know what some of you are thinking. Man, we get to the restaurant a long time before everybody else. This is a powerful sermon. Okay? Repent. Repent. Here's the condition. Repent. Now, we don't really like that word, do we? Let's just be honest. We don't like that word, and neither did the people of Jesus' day. They didn't like the word repent. Most people, when they hear that word, they think the person who's saying is, in, is inferring that they are drowning in a cesspool of sin. Okay? Right? Let's just be honest. When I hear somebody screaming at me, repent, 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 I'm thinking, oh, what a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. And that may be true, okay? That may be true. There may be sin in our life. That's the primary sense in Judaism. That was the primary sense. It, it meant to change directions. It meant to, to turn and to go in the opposite direction. Literally, it meant to change one's thinking. That's what it meant in Judaism. That's where we take our meaning from it. It was always a change in a person's attitude toward God. And because they had, they had an attitude change, there was a change in the conduct of life. It always involved the confession of sin. Okay? To confess means to agree with God that what He says is true. It always included a prayer of remorse or a prayer of God, I, I, I'm sorry that I've done this. And it always included forsaking sin. All of this was conditional then for salvation or it was conditional for deliverance by the king, deliverance by the, the, the Messiah. But I want you to listen to me. It means more than that. All right? It means more than that. 
It meant more than just to change directions. Okay? If, if I'm over here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going the right direction. Well, you get right in front of that speaker, it's loud, don't it? I need to quiet down a little bit. But if I'm, if I'm going up the road, and Jesus and I are walking arm in arm, and we're, we're in the, I'm just in the center of his wheel, and all of a sudden, I turn and go this way. And I start walking. And I walk. And I walk. And as the prodigal son, Scripture says, he came to his senses. And he turned. Okay, most people say, this is where repentance takes place. Okay? But that's just the beginning of repentance, is to turn, to change my mindset. To, to go. Until I go back over to the exact place that I left Jesus and start again, repentance is not complete. Okay? Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't move on without us. He waits on us. And we have to, we have to return to Him. And that's what the King came preaching. Sure, you need to turn from your sins, but we've majored on that. And people have turned from their sin, but they're just going in circles. We didn't tell them that they needed to go back to where God was and rejoin Him. We, we've left it at, at a place where if you'll just do this and do this and do this and do this. And folks, that's religion. But when I repent and when I return to Jesus and I begin to walk with Jesus, that's relationship. You see? It was a simple thing. It wasn't a lot of things they had to do. And he came to a people who had once walked with God. Who had all the tools they needed to walk with God and, and to do what God required. Now, they couldn't live perfectly. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But they had the tools they needed to have a relationship with God. Jesus came preaching this message because He was searching for them. He was looking in the high grass for them. He was kicking around. Everywhere He went, He was searching for people that were, that were lost, that lost their direction. We've made lost simply mean apart from Christ. Do you, do you, listen to me. There are moments in all of our lives when we get confused we get overwhelmed, we fall into sin, or a hundred other things that, you know what? We stop walking with Christ and we, we, we go the wrong direction. Y'all with me? Man, you can get under emotional pressure. You can get under uh, mental uh, anguish. And you can take a left turn off the interstate of God and end up in a bad part of town real quick. Okay? And so what Jesus comes, he comes preaching, repent, turn, change your attitude, and go back to where you were with God. Listen to me, wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're struggling with, Jesus is beating the bushes looking for you. He's not looking so he can find you. He's looking and moving stuff so you can see Him. Okay? He's not lost. What happens is we get lost because we can't find a focus point that will lead us through. He's the focus point. And so He's moving the grass. He's pushing back the tree limb so you can see Him. So that you'll stop going in the direction you're going and you'll return to Him. Well, folks, most of us are not even aware we're lost. And by lost, I don't mean lost your salvation, okay? I mean we've become estranged from God. We've wandered away from Him. We've, we've become separated from the one who protects us and who provides us for us and who loves us. Jesus said, repent. Stop running in the other direction you're going and stop and turn and come back. If you're over here, stop going that direction and turn and go back over here. And when you get here, repentance is complete and the journey can begin again. Jesus came preaching that message. 
Repentance, folks, is not condemnation. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is not condemnation. Repentance is the grace of God. It's the grace of a loving God. Listen to what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's a kindness thing. Whenever you and I realize that we're lost and we're off track and we turn and we return, when we repent, God's kindness is what's drawn us back. But most Christians are afraid of the harshness that they've heard. You know, God's going to light you up if you keep doing that. You say, well, I've never told anybody that. Well, I've been told that. I said, what do you mean by light me up? And they explained it in, in very biblical detail. Okay? The only problem is I can't find that in here. God loves His kids. Yes, He will discipline you. All right? And every parent in this place who loves their children disciplines their children. But God doesn't beat on His kids. God doesn't abuse His kids. Okay? That's not the God of Scripture. That's the God we've concocted that, that, that religion uses to control. Okay? God's not into control. God's into you choosing to follow Him and to love Him. See, love's a choice. But Jesus comes preaching this message. And, and repentance is not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's, a, it's about a key that gives us access to the kingdom life. It gives us access to the same quality of life the king has access to. You see, if I don't use the key of repentance over and over and over, I get locked out of the house. Okay, and I don't mean I lose my salvation. It means I can't find what I need in times of trouble. You ever been locked out of your house? There's no key under the rock. There's no key under the mat. It's not in the flower pot. It's not under the whatever over here. It's not hanging in the shed down there. And you're locked out of the house. And you can't get what you need. That's what I'm talking about. Unless we use the key of repentance, we get locked out. We lock ourselves out. God doesn't lock us out. Listen, if, if, if I stay out in the high grass long enough, I won't find any abundance. What I will find is a lot of things that make it worse for me. And eventually, what I have will be stolen. It will be killed and it will be destroyed. And God doesn't want that for us, folks. Repentance opens the door that allows me to enter the king's domain whenever I have a need. It gives me access to God's stuff to take care of the situation that I find myself in. But if I'm not using that key, you can bang your head on the door till the cows come in. It's not going to open. Folks, in effect, it's, it's your house key. God's given you a house key that when you stay out late and you don't want to wake anybody up, you can slip that key in there and get right in. When you didn't get there on time, you can slip that key in and go right. It's the key of repentance. Every son and daughter of God has been given their very own house key. Listen, sin and disobedience tends to slam the door on our relationship with God. God doesn't slam the door. We do. Apathy and unconcern tends to slam the door on our relationship with God. God doesn't slam the door. We do. Arrogant pride and a calcified religious belief system tends to shut the door on our relationship with God. God doesn't slam that door. We do. Busyness and independence tends to slam that door. God doesn't slam it. He doesn't shut it. We do. All of these things, folks, and a hundred more, just like them, take us down the wrong path. They leave us empty. They leave us wanting, which is the very opposite of what Jesus intended when He gave us those keys. 
Repentance is the key each of us has to use when we find we've locked ourselves out of the house. Okay? Out of the place of abundance. Out of that close, intimate relationship. Repentance is nothing more than just confession. Confessing to God. God, I've, I've, I agree with you. What you say is true and I agree with you. And Lord, I'm sorry for this. Deliver me. Man, when you do that and you turn that key, the tumblers click and the door opens up. And entry is there. If you and I would learn to exercise the key of repentance on a regular basis, we would find that our little side trips into the wilderness and into the desert would be much briefer. How many of you have been to the desert before? The wilderness. You know, there ain't much to see out there but rocks and cactus. Okay? It's not, and dust. It ain't, it's not the scenic route, okay? It would have been better to have stayed on the interstate where you don't see anything but billboards. Okay? But if we would just learn to use that key, we wouldn't spend nearly as long wandering around in circles. The quicker we repent, the shorter one strays, and thus the shorter distance we have to return. I've told you all this story before, I think, but years ago, Kathy and, and uh, my mother-in-law, Molly, and, uh, and Amber, Amber was about four years old, we went to Disney World. Yeah. And Julie, there was another rider. Yeah. There was five or six of us in the car. And we, we, we drove to Orlando, and we went down to Montgomery and cut across Union City where the bird dog statue is and cross over there to uh, the grass place, Tifton, Georgia. And then we, we hit, I think, 75. Well, all the way down, I saw east, 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 east. And so all the way down, I turned east, 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 east. On the way back, I had east fixated in my head. And we were coming up 75, and we got off there Tifton, I guess, and I was supposed to go west, but I had east in my mind, so everybody's asleep, and I turned east, and I drove. I'm sailing along there, just, you know, it's just nice, and all of a sudden, there was a sign that jumps up, and it says Brunswick, Georgia, 75 miles, maybe. There's no way. Somebody's put that sign in the wrong place. <laughs> I mean, that's what I said. I remember it. That's crazy. Brunswick's on the coast. Well, then all of a sudden, the scenery changed. It's palmetto bushes and tall pine trees. And I'm thinking, I don't remember this. But I don't let up any. I'm just pouring it on. Finally, it said Brunswick, Georgia, 10 miles. And I thought, hmm, I've made a mistake. What can I do? So I slowed down. I thought if I slowed down real slow, it made a long sweeping turn. I went back. They'd never know. As soon as I made the turn, everybody's eyes popped open. And they, they just, what? If you, I said, well, I've gone a little bit out of the way. Well, how far out of the way? Well, about an hour. <laughs> so a 12-hour trip turned into a 14-hour trip. Folks, if I had just turned around the first sign, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But I just kept going. I was just bent on going because in my brain, I was going the right direction. Folks, some of you are going in a direction you think is right, but it's not. And the further you go, the further you get away from God. And Jesus says, repent. Just turn. Change your attitude. Realize you can't read the road signs. They don't say what you think they do. And they don't, will not, you will not receive what you think you will receive. It's a lie. Folks, repentance has to become a daily part of our walk with Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus. We're go, you're going to make mistakes. We're going to, make, we're going to fail. We're going to slip and fall. That's why he's given us repentance. 
It's a, 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 it's a gift. Now, the more I repent, the closer I walk with Jesus. The more I experience the abundance of walking and living in the kingdom. The condition is repentance. You and I have to repent. Am I willing to live a repentant lifestyle? My enjoyment of God's abundance. Listen, my enjoyment of God of God's abundance, not God's abundance, but my enjoyment of it is determined by whether or not I will repent. The abundance is there. He's backed the truck up. He's offloaded it. He's dumped it. It's there. But whether I enjoy it or not is dependent upon me. It's dependent on whether I will repent, where I will uh, take access of it. It's conditioned on my repentance. I've already quoted this verse, but 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, there's the condition. If I will confess that I have sinned, this is the promise. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how many times? Every time I confess. Every time, every time. That's the, that's the promise. Now, the promise of Jesus in the sermon that he preaches, remember the condition is repent. That's the condition. If you'll repent, then what will happen? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word that's translated at hand out of the Greek means it's near. It's close by. It's the rule of God is all around you. When I live a lifestyle of repentance, I live in the rule of God. And His kingdom is all around me. Limited, little, or no repentance blinds, deafens, and numbs us to the kingdom of God that's around us. We can't see it. We don't feel it. We don't recognize it. Why? Because we're not looking for it. And so what happens is, is we become numb to it. We become blind to it. become deaf to it. Even though it's all around us. It cuts us off from the access of, to the resources and the riches that God provides for us. They seem to be hidden. They seem to be invisible. Does, does what you need seem to be evading you today? Are God's promises just always over the next hill? Then take a long, hard look inside here and see if hey there might be some sin it may not be sin though it just may be a wrong attitude it may be a false belief it may be that you know what i'm just going to do it this way this is the way i think god wants me to do it and i'm going to do it that way even though it may not be the way god wants you to do it it's not always sin sometimes it's bad teaching Sometimes it's the way we were raised as children. Sometimes it's, it's, it's other reasons. But just look inside and, and go, Holy Spirit, I can't seem to get hold of this promise. It just seems to be out of it. What's wrong? Listen to me. If you'll ask the Holy Spirit, He'll show you. Trust me. It'll be loud and clear. He'll say, blah. Then it's up to you and it's up to, to me to repent. To turn from the direction we're going and return to God. Folks, Jesus has given us the keys. But if we refuse to use the key of repentance, the rest of the keys on the key ring are useless. Okay? This is the foundational. The, the, this, this keeps you in the house in a sense. Now, listen to me. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. All right? So I'm not preaching that. I'm just saying, you know what? You can get locked out of God's house and be one of God's kids. And not be able to find your way back in because there's something wrong or something going on in your life. He loves you just as much as if you were sitting in a rocking chair with Him. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not, I'm not preaching you can lose your because you, I don't believe you can. I believe if God has given it to you, it was, a it was a gift of grace. You can't lose what you didn't earn and what you don't deserve. Okay? 
And God's not an Indian giver. Okay, therefore, the, the first principle that we got to learn this morning that will take us on into this study is the capacity for experiencing, exploring, and enjoying the abundant life of the kingdom requires a lifestyle of consistent repentance. If I want abundance, I want access to it. Let me say it that way. If I want access to it, then I need to live a repentant lifestyle. Every night before I go to bed, I, 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 and I confess the things I've, I know that I've done wrong. But there's always some things that I miss. And so I just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I know there's probably some more things here I've done, I've messed up. Maybe I said something the wrong way. Maybe I acted arrogantly or whatever. Please show me. And then I deal with what He shows me. And then just for safe measures, I throw this one in. God, if I've done anything else that's wrong, please forgive me. Okay, I, I'm not fearful. It's just, you know what? I realize that, that He's not going to bless me if there's sin in my life. If there's, if, there's, if there's wrong things in my life. And so I, I, I'm trying to develop a, a lifestyle of consistent repentance. It's not being beat down. It's, I mean, every time God forgives me, it raises me up. Okay? So the starting point for discovering the riches in the, of the kingdom and bringing heaven to earth is living a consistent life of repentance. Repentance enables us to exhale the garbage of this earth. Okay? <sighs> to blow it out. And then that forgiveness helps us breathe in the atmosphere of heaven. Folks, genuine repentance is the key to a kingdom life. Everything else I'll say over the next few weeks, God willing, builds on this one. Okay? If you don't get this key, or you don't have this key, if you don't have this key, you don't know Christ. Okay? You need Jesus this morning. But if you know Christ this morning, you have this key. It needs to be the key you wear out. Okay? It needs to be the key that's the most worn on your keychain. But if you don't use this key on a consistent basis, the rest of the keys, they just make a lot of noise. I probably use this key and this key more than I use the rest of these. Some of these keys, I don't even know what they go to. They make great noise, but they don't do me any good. This key gets me in my truck and gets me where I want to go. This key gets me in my house. Okay? Folks, repentance is the key that keeps us in God's house. Where the provisions are. Okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Jesus, everything is yes and amen. See, in Christ is the position where this key works. It gets me in the house. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.